0: Um, over the past week or so, um, the, the grocery supply in the Warner home has been getting a little bit low, and uh, I don't know if you ever have this in your house. There's a few reasons for that. Um, uh, one, we like food at our home, and we like to eat a lot, so food doesn't last very long. Um, another reason why it's gotten kind of low is is because Becky and I are—, are we're actually going to try to switch up our diet a little bit. And so we thought, well, let's let everything just kind of dwindle down. And then we kind of restock with more healthy food. So we're going to start that new diet plan tomorrow. Because the best time to start a new diet is always tomorrow. So uh, so, so, that's one re- another reason. Another reason, we just have had this wave of kind of sickness going through our home. And so we just have not had time to shop. No one feels like shopping when they're not feeling super great. So the fridge and the cupboards have gotten pretty... Pretty bare, and uh, we were able to do some shopping yesterday. But but just warning you, if if you see my kids in a potluck line after the service, like you might want to like stay clear. You, they <laughs> might they might bull you over. They're just barely hanging on this morning. But but when the fridge is bare, and this probably happens in your house too. But when the fridge gets a little bit bare, it presents a great opportunity for you to come along and clean out the fridge, right? And uh, which which is just a dreadful job because you, you never know what's going to be found in your fridge on fridge cleaning day. And maybe some of you, I'm sure there's some of you in the room, you're just like great at this. You probably every week, you pull out the, the, all the stuff and you give it a little wipe down. And the glass is, is always just like sparkling clean and shiny. You open your fridge and it just glows, it beams. It's just so clean inside of there. That is not the Warner house, okay? I would not want you to come and look inside of our fridge. Today. Well it's actually today's a good day because of this last week. But but typically it's not a great day when you gotta clean the fridge because you know there's always that there's always that container that's sitting in the back of the fridge and you go to pull it out and you can't tell if it's food or a small creature that's growing inside of that container. Or there's on the back of the the fridge there's always some kind of syrupy gunk that got spilled like years ago and it's just been building up and it's gross and crusty and I know you're thinking man rich you guys are disgusting but <laughs> we tell you here what's been in our fridge well in our fridge uh, I've been kind of dreading taking care of something for quite some time there's been a a carton of eggnog <laughs> and you're going okay rich Christmas was three months ago what are you doing with eggnog <laughs> in your fridge well um, my family, we love eggnog, and uh, this past year, uh, Christmas was... We actually love eggnog so much in our home that one Christmas, I was getting so upset because the eggnog was going so fast, I went out and bought everybody a carton of eggnog, and we put their names on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like seven cartons of eggnog in our fridge. But this last December, I was walking through Fred Meyer, and I saw that they had a bunch of eggnog that was on the... It was after Christmas, and I, they were trying to get rid of all their eggnog, and the eggnog was really expensive this year, and so when I saw the half-price eggnog, I was like, I got to grab a bunch of eggnog. So I grabbed two cartons of eggnog, bring it home. I didn't go crazy. I, I saved some for some other people. But but here's the thing with, uh, with eggnog um, that, that I've discovered this year. For whatever reason, eggnog before Christmas tastes way better than eggnog after Christmas. <laughs> it's the exact same drink. Nothing's changed. But after Christmas— Eggnog just does not taste the same. I, have, I, I can't explain it. I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this as well, but eggnog does not taste the same. And so we opened one of the cans of egg, or cartons of eggnog, and I think it got like half, half, uh, half drank, and so then we just tossed the rest out. But there was this other thing of eggnog that was, in our, it was actually in our garage fridge, and nobody just wanted to deal with it. And so at some point, it made its way into, it got open, and it made its way into our into our, uh, our kitchen fridge inside the house, and it just, it just sat there and sat there and sat there, and, and mentally it had become like that thing that you just hold dearly to in your home that needs to be tossed out, but it's just become like a part of you, and it's got some sentimental attachment to it, fond place in your heart. Well, this past week, uh, we decided to clean out the fridge, and I decided it was time to let go of the eggnog. And it was hard. The struggle was real. And, and I learned something else about eggnog this week. Unlike most dairy products, eggnog actually has a pretty long shelf life. And so I opened up the eggnog, and I started to pour it down the sink. And, and I noticed that it, 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 I was expecting it to come out like a big chunk of cheese kind of thing. Like, you, you know, have you ever had milk that's been in the fridge for too long, and it's, it's chunks that come out? I was expecting that, but it wasn't chunky. And so, my curiosity got the better of me, and I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I got to try a little bit of this, just a little bit. Now, it was, it, it was kind of like drinking sour cream the way it tasted, but, but <laughs> it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. However... It wasn't what it used to be, and it wasn't what it was meant to be. Something that at one time was so good. I'm going somewhere with this this morning, believe it or not. (laughs) Something that at one time was so good had perished, and it had become, you could say, corrupted. And um, it's interesting in life how we have a tendency to hang on to things for far too long. We have a tendency to just, you know, stuff that we need to let go of, we just hang on to it. We had a couple's night out here. Um, about a month ago, and 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 we played this couples games, and it seemed like there was I, I can't remember exactly how many guys, but two or three of the couples. That, the question was, "What does your husband have that you wish they didn't have?" And it, and inevitably, it was like an old shirt from the '80s or something that's got holes in it and whatever. Guys, we just love to hang on to our clothes forever, right? And, uh, you know, I have, I have my favorite gym pants. And if you were to look too closely, you would see holes in stuff. And I actually, you know, preparing this sermon, I, I was convicted. I tossed a pair of them in the garbage this week. And, and I'm telling you, uh, freedom. <laughs> but it doesn't matter if it's eggnog, gym clothes, you know, that old car in the driveway, furniture. Doesn't matter. We just hang on to things way past the, the due date. And when it comes to physical things, material things, this actually isn't really that big of a deal. But but um, where we really get into trouble is when we hang on to stuff on the inside far too long, and it does do it does damage. It actually corrupts our heart. It corrupts our soul. It even can corrupt our mind. You have that resentment towards that person that did something to you way back in the day. And rather than forgive, rather than let go, you just hang on to that that resentment. Or you have that relationship that you know is not a good relationship for you because it keeps dragging you down. It keeps pulling you back. It keeps you from from living out the purposes that God has for your life. And you know it, but you just you hang on. Or you've got that habit that is robbing you of... of of just life, and freedom, and wholeness, but you can't let go of it, you keep hanging on. And today we're starting this brand new series, you saw the picture, it's called The Resurrected King, and we're going to be just looking at, uh, diving deep into the cross, and the empty tomb, and everything that, that these mean for us, and each week, over the next four weeks, we're actually going to be looking at something that was forever changed, something that was reversed, Because of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. And today we're going to look at how Jesus reverses corruption. He reverses corruption. And to do that, we're going to look at the story of of two gardens. Two gardens that represent a lot of different things. The first garden we we find in the ancient city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's a garden that has, it's likely got some flowering plants. It maybe has some trees. A lot of gardens back then were working gardens where there, there, there was, there was uh, you'd find maybe some grapes growing and some vegetables growing. There's maybe a meandering path or two through this garden. And somewhere in this garden, full of living plants, among all the beauty, sits an empty tomb, a hole carved into the side of a rocky hill. And in very early one morning, a lady approaches the garden. The lady's name is Mary, and she's expecting to find the body of Jesus, who has just been crucified, laying in the tomb. It's okay if we just if we start with Easter this morning instead of waiting four weeks. Okay, so she's approaching the tomb, and the Bible says early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Now we know very very little about this lady. Uh, named Mary Magdalene. We do know that she comes from a region of that area called uh, Magdala. That's where her name is kind of attached to. And we also know that when she first met Jesus, that Jesus actually cast seven demons out of her. And this tells us that this lady was tormented. It tells us that she had a dark, dark past, we don't actually know what caused the torment or where it all started or any of that kind of stuff. But we do know that she lived a life that was marked by pain. It was marked by pain. But Jesus comes along and he sets her free. Anybody here been set free by Jesus? It's good. It's life-giving. He changes you. Jesus sets Mary free. And, and she then goes and joins Jesus' Mary band of disciples, and just follows Jesus wherever he goes. She even followed him to the foot of the cross. You know, there's this moment at the cross where uh, you, you probably know the story. Almost all the disciples have fled. They've, they're afraid that they're going to be arrested just like Jesus. But Mary is actually one of the few that actually follows Jesus to the foot of the cross. And then when Jesus is buried, the Bible mentions how only Two followers of Jesus were there observing the burial of Jesus. One of those was Jesus' mom, Mary, and the other one was this Mary right here, Mary Magdalene. Mary had been transformed by Jesus, and she loved Jesus very deeply. And so she's walking through this garden, making her way to the tomb, in the dark, and we can only imagine the weight of grief, just the immense sorrow. This man that she's loved so much is no longer alive, she thinks. And and she is just overcome with grief. And the Bible tells us that it's dark as she's walking there. I mean, just she's already feeling dark and heavy and sad and sorrowful, but even like she walks in the dark for whatever reason. And you got to remember, this is ancient Jerusalem. This isn't like today where She's got her iPhone and puts the little flashlight on to walk through the, 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 the garden. No, it's dark. And as Mary walks towards the tomb, what she thinks is the, the, where she thinks the, the dead body of the one she loves is, she's facing a very significant situation. One that's way bigger than she even knows. I love how um, author Russell Moore, he describes it like this. He says, what Mary is facing here isn't just a personal crisis— She is facing an ancient curse, an ancient curse, a curse that actually began in another garden way before this. The second garden is even more ancient than the first garden. It shows up way back at the beginning of time. It's a garden created by God himself. It's the garden where the history of mankind begins. It's a garden filled with life. A garden where everything that God has just created, he describes it as being good. It's a good place. The garden is perfect. It's, of course, the Garden of Eden. And in the middle of this garden, there's two trees. There's one tree, the tree of life. And there's the this other tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God comes along and says, hey, this garden is all yours. Enjoy it. Eat from all the plants. There's only one thing you can't do, and that's you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, you know the story. Uh, Adam and Eve, they decide that they're going to not obey God. They're, they're not going to choose trust. Instead, they're going to they're gonna eat from that fruit. And when they do, instantly, the Bible says, sin came into the picture there's a, uh, uh, there's a curse that comes along with it, a curse so far-reaching that it touches everything, and it corrupts. It corrupts everything. It even corrupts the plants. There's all of a sudden uh, thorns and, and thistles, and the plants would eventually all die. Earthquakes and floods all of a sudden become a thing. And where once humanity knew only the goodness of life, now death enters the picture along with pain and suffering and evil and heartache. The Bible puts it like this. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online, for everyone sinned. And this is a big deal because sin corrupts like nothing else. You know, a lot of times people misunderstand what sin is, and they think that sin is, oh, if I, just, if I make a mistake or if I do something that the church deems to be wrong, uh, that's what sin is. But sin is, you've got to understand something about sin. Sin actually runs way deeper than simply making mistakes or doing something wrong. Uh, sin, sin is the state of your inner person that naturally wants to resist or defy God in His ways. This, it's why the Bible calls it the, the sinful nature. It's because it's something that, that all of us are born with. You don't have to teach a toddler how to be selfish and get angry when they don't get their toys when they want them. They just know. They just know. And the, and the reason that we have such a hard time Surrendering to God and trusting God and and giving Him our lives is is because of sin. It keeps us from God. It keeps us from His ways. And and even though you you hear all the time about the goodness of God and, and who He is and how He's for you, even though you maybe sense that God is the way, the truth, and the life, even though you walk outside on a beautiful spring day with Trees starting to blossom and mountains and plants and birds and frogs chirping and all this stuff. And you sense that there's a God out there. Sin keeps you resisting Him. It keeps you going, eh, for another day. Or, nah, I don't really trust and believe that stuff. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Sin keeps you resisting Him. It, it, it's what makes you do that thing that you know you shouldn't do. The thing that you really don't want to do, you do it anyway. Why? Because of sin. And in the Garden of Eden, all that was good, with, with one act of disobedience, all the good had now been corrupted. It had been corrupted. You know, corruption is something that nobody, nobody likes corruption. Corruption. It doesn't matter if, it, if it's good eggnog gone bad, <laughs> or, or uh, a corrupt banker you know we've heard about some of this the last couple weeks a corrupt banker making off with, with a millions of dollars and leaving you with nothing, nobody likes corruption. And, and that's because of what, what corruption is. Corruption is it's a state of decay. It's what happens when a big, ripe, juicy apple is, for whatever reason, left in your fruit bowl. And it, it over weeks, it just gets decayed. It's a healthy body becoming sick, frail, weak. You know, I've yet to meet an elderly person who's saying, you know, I'm so glad my body is not a 25-year-old body anymore. Um, you know, I just love my arthritis. I I just love the achy joints. You know, I just, I I love the balding head and the hair loss. It's just so amazing. You know, I never in my wildest dreams thought cataracts would be this good. They're just, they're awesome. Nobody ever said that. In fact, we're all saying, Lord, heal me of all this stuff. Heal me. Make it go away. It's because corruption is a state of decay. Not only is it decay, it's it's, it's corruption is pollution. It's taking something uh, like fresh air and it's filling it with the exhaust fumes from your car. It's taking a mind that is 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 at peace and and filling it with anxiety and fear. It's filling uh, uh, your your mind with violence, ne- negativity, it's decay, it's pollution, and it's also incorrectness. Corruption is taking justice and turning it into injustice. Instead of loving and honoring your parents, you despise and maybe even hate your parents. Instead of being generous and kind, the corruption of that is to be someone who lives their life full of greed. And the Garden of Eden ends with a curse. But because God loves Adam and Eve so much, and because he's so good, even though they've just turned their back on on him, What does he do? Does he abandon them? No, he pursues them. He pursues them. And the Bible says it like this. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And maybe you're going, well, how's that that God pursuing them? Well, what's just happened here is very, very significant. As we head into the Passion Week and the Easter season, It'll just be like another nice day on your calendar when you don't understand what's happening here in this verse. What's happening is a living creature that has blood flowing through it has has been sacrificed in Adam and Eve's place so that mankind, so that they can live and not die. The punishment that Adam and Eve deserve in that moment was put on that creature— to make atonement for their sin. And this act of God was pointing somewhere. It was pointing to the cross in the ultimate act of atonement where God would send his son, his perfect, pure, uncorrupted son, Jesus, to die on a cross, not just for one sin, but for the sin of everybody that would call on his name. And then in this final act of love at the Garden of Eden, God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. Well, Rich, how is that an act of love? Well, it's an act of love because he knows that if they're allowed to stay and live forever in that garden and eat from the tree of life, then they would forever live in a state of corruption, eternal decay, eternal pollution. And so the garden scene, it it ends like this. It says, and so the Lord God banished Him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. He drove the man out. He's talking about humanity. He drove the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim. It's an angel or angels and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And then from there... Humanity spirals downward to the place where just six chapters later, the Bible says now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. All the people on earth had done what? They had corrupted their ways. And violence, you could probably say, is the pinnacle of corruption. Deliberately murdering someone, raping, assaulting, it is evil. And the reason that the cross and the empty tomb are such a big deal and at the the very core of our faith, faith is because without them, it's just an endless cycle of corruption. You can just read the Old Testament portion of your Bible and you'll see this happens all the time. People would would, would call on God and they would follow God and love Him and then, then another generation would come along that, that didn't know God so well and they would just go off and they would Wander away from God, and then it was just—it was—it was brokenness and heartache and and corruption. The blessing and the goodness of God was just was was no longer there. But but soon they would call on God again. They'd come back to God and start the cycle all over again. And some of you are living your life like this. It's just like this boom-bust cycle after boom-bust cycle, trying really hard to do good, trying really hard to live right, trying really hard to just get it together, but you keep falling back down, getting stuck in the brokenness. And the good thing you're after always seems to be just out of reach. Just out of reach. There's this great line, if, if you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution, you need to see it. It's a movie that's playing. I think it's still playing this week. Powerful, powerful movie. Bring a box of Kleenex. But there's this great line. It's about the, the, the Jesus movement back in the, the 60s and the 70s. And there's this great line in the movie where a lot of the church had kind of resisted this, this, this group of people. But there's this great line in the movie where the, the, one of the, the main characters says, hey, they're all looking for God. All of them. They're doing the same thing that you're doing. They're just looking in the wrong place. They're looking in the wrong place. And maybe that's you, you're you're looking for joy, you're looking for satisfaction, you're looking for love, and you're looking for goodness, and you're you're looking for healing. You're looking for God, but maybe you're just looking in the wrong place, and it, it seems like what you're after is just out of reach. This is the corrupting power of sin. And there is only one way to escape the corrupting power of sin in your life, and that is Jesus. It's the only way. The Bible actually puts it like this. It says, it was not with perishable. Some versions of the Bible actually use the word corruptible there. It was not with perishable things such as silver or or gold that you were redeemed from the, the key phrase for somebody in the room or online today, the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Through Him, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. So your faith and hope are in God. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, or you could say, not of corruptible seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. Jesus reverses the corruption. And when you put your faith and trust in Him— what happens is you're born again. And, and Jesus is the one who used that phrase because it's, it, it describes what happens to you. Now, obviously, you're not born again physically. That's going to come down the road. But what happens is your spirit is, is born again. You've got this sinful nature that you inherited from, 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 from Adam and Eve. But, but when you, you give your life to Jesus, it's born again. You're born again with what the Bible says is imperishable, incorruptible seed through the living word of God. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, sin's power is broken in your life, defeated. He opens up the door for life eternal, and when we put our faith and trust in Him, all this is ours. All this is ours. Romans 6 declares that we are set free from the power of sin and made alive to God. Alive to God. And so back to the second garden, the one that we were talking about in the beginning. Here's Mary. She's making her way full of grief and sadness through the garden. She's seen Jesus crucified. She's seen Jesus buried. And she thinks that she's going to anoint his body with with perfumes. But instead, she encounters an empty tomb. And at first, you know, on on this side of it, we're like, that's like immediate moment for celebration. But she doesn't know what's going on. And she's actually afraid that Jesus' body has been stolen. And the Bible says this, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. The angel then said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, but praise God, hallelujah, He has risen just as he said. And get this. Remember how in the Garden of Eden, the angels are standing there with like this flaming sword. They have just been banished from the garden. The angels are making sure they don't come back in. In this garden, the angels are saying, come and see the place where he lay. Come see where he lay. It is an invitation to holiness and to the victory that Jesus has just accomplished. Jesus has, has freed us from the corrupting power of sin. You know, I think one of the greatest lines, there's a lot of great lines in the movie world, but I think one of the greatest movie lines that I, I personally like, it's at the top of my list, comes from a movie called um, The Shawshank Redemption. Um, and it's the story of these two men who are put in this uh, state uh, prison. Both are serving a sentence of, of many, many hard years. Um, One of the men sees no hope. He's just kind of got in his head that this is going to be his life. He's just going to be imprisoned. He's just going to be doing the same thing every day and and just all that. He's got no hope. But he's met this friend, a guy named Andy Dufresne, at some point. Andy Dufresne has been put in this prison um, unjustly. He shouldn't be there. He's there for a crime he didn't commit. And and, And so one has no hope, but Andy Dufresne has got some hope. Hope is alive, and so they're having this conversation, and, and the one guy with no hope doesn't know that Andy Dufresne is devising a plan to escape out of the prison. And, and at one point as they're having this conversation, uh, it comes, there's, this, there's this quote, this phrase, and a lot of you will recognize this. Andy Dufresne says to the guy with no hope, he says, I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying get busy living or get busy dying and my question for us today for you is which one are you are you in the get busy living camp or the get busy dying camp and and i'm just going to i'm just going to be very straightforward this morning and direct if you don't have jesus in your life if your life is not surrendered to jesus whether you realize it or not, you are in the get busy dying camp. That is the camp that you are in. Maybe you know it. You know, maybe you keep trying to change, but no matter how hard, you, 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 just, you, you just can't. It's always just out of reach. Uh, you, you, you keep trying to find life in your friends you keep trying to find life in money you keep trying to find life in that, that thing you keep trying to find life in having a lot of social media friends you have, try to find life in having a, a, the right house you try to find life in your, your, your hobbies, your sports whatever it is you got going on but you just keep coming up empty you know it without Jesus it just doesn't work but, but get this The news gets even worse for you because even if you were to to be able to find some joy and satisfaction in this life without Jesus, one day it will all end in corruption. You cannot escape. Not one single person listening cannot escape the reality that you are going to die one day. You're going to die. And without Jesus, that moment does not go well for you. It's the moment where the corrupting effects of sin become irreversible. Irreversible. The Bible says that one day whether, uh, uh, when it says one day whether when we, we die naturally or when Jesus comes back, the Bible says he will bring judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction Forever. Separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. Punished forever. Listen, you don't have to face the punishment for your sin. You don't have to. You know why? It's because somebody else did. Somebody else took that punishment for you. That's why He died on the cross. He sacrificed His life in your place. He bore your punishment on himself so that you wouldn't have to. So that you wouldn't have to. But but here's the thing. In order to receive salvation, in order to receive forgiveness, in order to have that, that corruption that your, your your soul is under right now, in order to have the power of that thing broken in your life, you have to respond to Jesus. You can't just go, oh, that's nice. That sounds good. Oh yeah, I, I've heard about that. Yeah, I think Jesus is a good guy. I think he's real. You know, you, you have to respond to him, the Bible says, with faith and trust. You gotta go, okay, I believe it. I receive it. And Jesus, I choose to, to return from my old way of living. And Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna put my faith in you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you enough to, to, to go wherever it is that you're leading. I'm gonna trust you enough to follow your way, not mine. And if you're in that camp where you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, I encourage listening today, and you would go, oh, I have Jesus. I've I've put my faith and trust in Him, and you've been born again. But but for some reason, you're not living in the fullness of what Jesus bought for you on the cross. You're not living in the fullness of, of what the resurrection means for you. You're not living in the fullness of that. You're still living like you're dying, You're still living as if the corrupting power of sin has not been reversed. You you keep walking in the old you and not walking in the new you. And God's invitation for you today is to put off the old you and begin walking in the person that He's called you and He's created you and He's made a way for you to be. Walk in that, Jesus says. Well, Rich, what, is that, what does that look like? What does that look like to walk in Jesus' way? And, and I want to, as we're wrapping up this morning, I want to read some some scripture to you. And I'm going to invite the worship team if you would you would come at this time. And I, and I want you, as I'm reading this text, I want you to hear what Jesus is calling you and inviting you into. He is inviting you into Life and life to the full. That's what he invites you into today. And I'm going to read this text. Some of you might want to just close your eyes and be in the moment and just listen to what Jesus would want to say to you. But, but hear his invitation to you today. It says this. It says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted, by lust and deception. Instead, this is God's invitation to you today. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use your your don't don't use foul or abusive language. Instead, let everything you say be good and helpful so that the words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, I love how God just doesn't say, get rid of it. He says, here's, here's what I'm asking you. I'm calling you into this instead. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God therefore in everything you do, because you are Get this. You are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these aren't for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness. For once you were full of darkness. But now you have light from the Lord." so scripture says so God says to you today so live as people of light. Jesus I just want to thank you today that you have reversed the corruption of this world. I thank you Jesus that today God you are calling us God um, God you're inviting the person in this room who's never put their faith and trust in you God you're inviting them to yourself. You're 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 saying to them hey, the, the brokenness that you know is there. You're not going to find it in the things of this world. Lord, you want them to, to hear that they're going to find it only in you. God, I pray, Jesus, that that Lord, um, God, there would be a courage and something aside of, of men and women and students, even right now in this moment, that would say, I'm going to turn from the ways of this world, and I'm going to put my faith and trust instead in Jesus. And as your head... Are, is is bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you're going, today is the day I'm going to do it. That's you. Put your hand up nice and high. I want to just pray with you this morning. Anybody here, you're in that camp. Anybody. You're going, today is the day I'm tired of living in brokenness. I'm tired of living a life of the corrupting effects of sin. Is there anybody here today who go, yes, that is me, and today is a brand new day. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Anybody here? You're going, that is me. Lord, I also pray this morning, God, God, for, for anyone here who has put their faith and trust in you, But, but Jesus, they're, they're walking in the opposite of what we just read. God, they're walking as if the power of sin has not been broken. God, they they keep going back. And Jesus, this morning, you are calling us, um, God, to, to shake off and to let go of the old, to let go of the resentment, to let go of the anger, to let go of the, 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 the doubt and the fear that keeps us living in greed. God, you're inviting us this morning to let go of unwholesome talk. God, you're inviting us to let go of all that stuff, God, that keeps us from life and life to the full. And so, God, I, I pray that this morning, Jesus, we would have the boldness and the courage. And the the faith to let go of those things And to step into a new season of freedom God, a new season of life God, a new season of hope and peace And courage God, may we have the faith to do that And God, I just want to thank you so much For everything that you did for us on the cross God, I thank you that God, even though we deserve the punishment for our sin Jesus, you stepped in And said, hey, I'll, I'll take that for you Thank you so much for the cross. And God, I pray, Lord, that over the next few weeks, God, as we just reflect on all that you've done, I pray, God, that you would You just amaze us all over again at your extravagant love, your extravagant goodness and kindness and mercy towards us. God, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said this morning, amen, amen, amen. Hey, awesome! it's been really good having you out this morning. I just want to invite you back next week as we just keep looking at all that the cross means for you and what what the resurrection means. You know, my heart for all of us is that we would truly walk in the resurrection power of Jesus. That we would would walk in the fullness of what He's done. We would walk in life and that we would carry that to our families, our places of work, our schools, wherever it is that, that God leads us. Why don't you stand with us as we wrap up this morning by just singing a song about the, the goodness and the person of Jesus. And let's just go out of here this morning with a heart of worship. Uh, don't forget that after the service this morning, we're going to have a bunch of food out there in the foyer. Um, if you want to help us, we're going to kind of shuffle the chairs around a little bit, get some tables out here. But you are all invited to stick around, enjoy some food. If you're watching online, unless you live somewhere outside the state, Get in your car. Get down here and join us. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So have a great day and a great week. and, And God bless.